Welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We are thrilled during this holiday season you would take some time uh, to spend with us. Christmas is uh, just around the corner and a new year uh, is on the horizon and uh, uh, it's a great time uh, to be alive. It's a great time to be with you, so thank you so much. Uh, I just got back in the country, so uh, I had an amazing time, as you know, uh, in Honduras. We were doing uh, some powerful marriage ministry with a great team of Living Stones folks and uh, I always tell people it's good to get out of the country so you can appreciate coming back to the country. Uh, it wasn't quite kiss the ground excited, but I've been there before after coming back some, from some difficult trips. But uh, this was an amazing time, and uh, and uh, it's always fun to be able to bless the church globally. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I came home to a, a sanctuary that was absolutely spectacular. Yeah, well, uh, I got to watch your message online while I was gone, which a uh, great job, by the way. High fives on them. Uh, and uh, just just good stuff happening. So yeah. praise the Lord. Um, we're going to continue with, uh, we always like to start off with what's kind of in the news. Uh, we've been following uh, just that uh, marriage uh uh, what do we call Re- respect for marriage bill is what it was called but it was uh, obviously does not respect marriage at all and todd young our own senator voted for this along with 11 other uh, republican senators and um and i just want to say first of all thank you to everybody who responded called in and all that i'm, I'm hearing that there's a lot of backlash happening right now uh in fact uh, one of the things that made the uh, the national news was the fact that one of our counties i believe it's cass county here in indiana the the Republican Party uh, issued a formal censure of him, which is basically saying this was a horrific betrayal of Republican values. Uh, and I think they're right. Uh, I think what's left to be decided is what you what can be done and if any other counties will respond. And I, I don't know what there is other than a um, recall, 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 yeah, primary. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know the ins and outs of how all that works, but I do know there's a lot of, of people that are greatly disappointed. Um, so that's that's that. I also want to give a huge shout out uh, in the positive way to Todd Rakita, and I don't want to get into the weeds on this, but he has been fighting for the uh, Indiana abortion law that was passed uh, that, that is a good law. We, we would believe it's not strong enough, uh, but it's just crazy to me that groups like the ACLU um, push back against these laws. And this is an interesting um, situation. They're saying that uh, this would violate the religious beliefs of non-Christians, including pagans. And so now we're, we're, we're worried about violating the religious beliefs of pagans. One of the groups that's listed here are Satanists. And they're arguing that um, performing uh, abortions is part of a satanic ritual, um, a sacrament which surrounds and includes the abortive act. Now, we won't get too far in the woods here, but this is why I have been arguing that at the end of the day, a nation has to be guided by some ideology. It has to have some moral compass. And for for America, indisputably, this has been uh, a Judeo-Christian worldview, period. You cannot argue against that with any credibility. Uh, And so when push came to shove, whether it was polygamy or abortion or or whatever, um, the default was to go back to the Ten Commandments and the moral law and the scriptures and then case law that derived from that, period. This is a perfect example. Okay, so how in the world do you do you promote a Christian value, which uh, is for the sanctity of life, and promote a Satanist value, which 
celebrates death and the murder of, of mm. uh, innocent children. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Somebody's ideology has to prevail. And that doesn't mean everybody doesn't have freedom, but you don't have the freedom for anarchy. You don't have the freedom to, to rob. Uh, you don't have the freedom to steal. You know, I mean, these are basic moral principles. And so what Rakita is, is arguing is that, um, you know, promoting life is, is something that benefits all of us. And it is a function of government. And here you have one judge who's uh, based on her ideological views, um, uh, and certainly not on law, is holding this up. So I, yeah. it's frustrating. A, but, a nation that has no unifying principle or, or general sense of value, like any organization, whether you're a church or a company or a family, if you have un, no unifying value, it falls apart. And they're just nation in name only. America has become so fractured. It's, it's becoming nation in name only. Yeah. But it starts with this kind of Judeo-Christian perspective. And then and then basically the, the, the postmodernist wants to take this Judeo-Christian and transition into a different religion. But instead of saying we're going to jump to a different religion, they jump to diversity. Right. They jump to uh, inclusiveness instead. Using that, the, the, comp- the sense of compassionate uh, caring to kind of be a transition point. But, but we all know as we... You sh- we all should know at this point, inclus- inclusivity and, and, and uh, diversity can never be a unifying factor in itself. Right. There's unity and diversity together forms a beautiful around picture. Around a common theme. Around the common, there's diversity around the common unity, but, but diversity by itself cannot be a unifying factor for yeah. any family, any organization, any church, any business, any nation. It just leads to complete moral anarchy. Well, it leads to might means right. Whoever has the largest microphone or the largest, biggest guns ends up winning or biggest, most money winning. So yeah. you see the transition point? It's, 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 a, yeah. it's a tricky little point. And, they, and this is changing our religion. This is that middle of the road that a lot of politicians try to strike straddle. And I know, Todd Young, a lot of us got the letter, you know, the official response letter um, back. You know, it was interesting on Sunday. I was proud of our people. I said, how many of you got the letter? And uh, a whole bunch of folks raised their hands, um, which meant that they called the office. They, they, you know, shared their concerns. And the problem with this letter, it was well written, but it was literally trying to straddle both sides of the, of the moral issue. And I've said this for years, the, uh, Judeo-Christian sexual ethics and the uh, orthodoxy of the LGBTQ movement are a diametric, you know, op- opposition against each other. There's no common ground. There's no coming together. They start at a different place, and they're going to logically end at a different place. And any politician that's trying to straddle that fence, um, uh, you're just deceiving yourself. Uh, and you cannot, you cannot represent everybody's views equally when they are directly opposed to each other. That is, that is a logical contradiction, and it just cannot happen. You have to stand for something, um, and that's the problem, again, with, with this uh, diversity or inclusivity that's, that's not rooted in truth. Mm-hmm. It, it ends up being a, a swampland, um, a miry swampland. So um, I also want to mention, because it ties into all of this, that we're now seeing with Elon Musk's uh, purchase of Twitter, we're now having the Twitter files being exposed every week and finding out that everything that these big tech companies said that they were not doing, uh, and we were all being accused of being conspiracy theorists and everything else, well, we're finding out Another conspiracy theory has come true, and uh, and this was, this kind of ties into where we've been in this series because we we've been warning about what happens when government goes and goes to bed with woke corporate America, 
and, and, and colludes on certain things. And I think, as you were pointing out, that really is the biggest takeaway from, from these Twitter files is actually having proof that, that our government and federal agencies were working hand in glove with tech companies and actually uh, uh, messing with a national election. Yeah. Uh, including uh, banning a sitting president from a social media platform, right. uh, basically for no reason, uh, is what's been proved. I mean, there's, there's no violation of their policy whatsoever. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, a couple, a couple of takeaways for me. One is like, you know, if the FBI goes to some tech company and says, we're tracking this terrorist and we really need your information, I can see this tech company working with the FBI or, or the CIA or But whatever. what's funny is when they've done that, like a legitimate reason, yeah. like national security, yeah. That's when the tech companies have said, no, you know, due to rights of privacy, we're, <laughs> yeah, we don't, we're, we're not, not going to work with you. With you right. So it's funny, on those situations, they won't work with the government. Right. But as you're pointing out, in other situations, they have worked. Well, in my mind, that's a legitimate yeah. uh, re- outreach, and there's a legitimate response from a tech company. But the, these are cases in which the FBI, as far as I read, knew that those were lies that they're promoting through a tech company. And whether the tech company knew that or not, I don't know. But the point is, man, talk about overreach. So, so one takeaway for me was that FBI under the Trump administration hated Trump. So <laughs> Trump did not have... Um, uh, relational equity. Okay, well, I don't know relational, but there, he did not have control over at least federal agencies and stuff like that. You know, And people talk about the deep state, deep state. I'm like, what does that deep state mean? I'm like, okay, that's probably a practical example that's legitimately for... Uh, evidence by these terrifiers, you know, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say, hey, his own administration, the 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 legal whatever law enforcement agency is coming against them using issues. I uh, the Hunter Biden laptop, which they knew apparently was was yeah, not were, a hoax, right? But they were still promoting it. It was just like, wow, this is like TV drama stuff, man. This well, is like when unreal. You, when you look at what's happened uh, for, for serious elections, even yeah. up to the last one here, you know, yeah. we had the Supreme Court leak. We still, yeah. Why is it we still have not heard who leaked that information? Right, exactly. we, we had a number of things that were timely, uh, timely released or suppressed yeah. leading up. You know, remember when Joe Biden said, I'm going to cancel all student debt. Well, how in the world does one person have the power to cancel, you know, billions of dollars of student debt. You, you can't do that. One person cannot do that. That's what Congress would have to do, and it have to be done through law. But we threw that out there. Why, did it, why was that thrown out there? For votes. And then now, we're, now everybody's back in track. Uh, the, even uh, courts are saying, you, you can't do that. So um, this is all manipulating elections, though. So it's really election fraud. When you, when you have a, a revelation of a, a laptop that had all the perverted stuff on there, and you have clear connections between uh, between him and his dad. How do you just you know suppress that? Uh, unless it, again, it was for well, ideological election reason. at this point, especially with all the ballot har- legal ballot harvesting and the mail in ballots. It's a to me, it's like a game. It's a competition. It's like a, it's like basketball, football. It's like the game itself has no intrinsic value. It's the value we make of it, right? Election used to be there's an intrinsic value of actually going out and connecting with people, saying, right. "Hey, you guys can trust me. Build trust, build equity." We gotten so big, the bureaucracy's gotten so big. This becomes such a game, a, a numbers game, and, and, and election has become like. Win at all costs. We'll yep. do whatever it takes. We'll push. We'll take steroids. We'll we'll, we'll bribe the refs. We'll do whatever it takes. I mean, and, and that's discouraging for a large level. I haven't given up hope 
But but yeah. on a larger level, it's like, man, all the idealism of serving your nation and representing your people is, is slowly losing through this whole game. It's just right. everybody. It's not just the D's, the R's. Everybody's playing these games. And I'm just like, and, and all the coming? money that's tied into that. Yeah, game. absolutely. Oh, because whoever wins the election has access to all those funds, all those uh, government contracts. So yeah. this is more than just and, like and who. who it's more than just about religious freedom law. This is about money, money, money. And it's so. not just uh, it's not just Twitter, as we pointed out. This is depressing. You know, if you watch Google and what they did uh, on YouTube, especially during the COVID situation, they had all these approved, you know. Uh, videos and then disapproved videos so you saw what happened with the doctor who had the nerve to come out and actually question some of the uh, protocols uh, and Twitter clearly banned him so did so did Google and YouTube and um, then we also had Amazon who was removing certain books uh, that went against the LGBT movement or whatever so now you know it's so funny the left always accuses those of us on the right of all these things which we don't do they're the ones banning books. They're the ones uh, censoring material. They're the ones shadow banning. They're the ones involved in content suppression. They're doing all the things that pure liberalism would would have died for, you know. Uh, and, and yet they've been clearly guilty of all these things. And like you said, though, unless there's unless there's some accountability and some people go to jail, especially government agencies and leaders of those agencies, um, we're not going to. See this so, so my question is, again, is there a true accountability or are we just kind of exposing that for everyone to be like, whoa, we knew that was bad. Was so it far, true accountability? we haven't seen I don't any know. accountability. I think that's the concern for, for Americans is when is someone going to actually be, go to Because jail? when there's no accountability, you, you can't have public outcry and yeah. people, all the conservatives shaking their fingers. If there's no true accountability, they would do it. Everyone would do it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Because the money, the, the, the power, the prestige they get, People just forget about this stuff. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, hey, well, somebody, some federal agency going to do anything or some yeah. police agency? Anybody going to do anything? If not, well, hopefully now that we, when this new uh, Congress convenes and we have a little bit, little bit more of a, a balance of power, hopefully we'll... Uh, they'll we'll subpoena them. and they'll have court trials. But again, my, my, I mean, I, my whole point is like, is that just kind of for public... Public. Yeah. So far, that's been the case. I hope I hope something changes. But so, uh, it's, yeah. it's disappointing when average Americans... You know, are going to be surveilled by eighty-seven thousand new uh, IRS agents, uh, uh, and we're such we're we're such small peons, and we're going to have to deal with that kind of harassment while we have this major corruption exposed, and nobody seems to pay for any of it. So, uh, it makes you get a little bit cynical with our, with our government. Ho- hopefully, that'll be corrected. Um, let's transition. We've been in, in Roger Ayer's book, uh, "Live Not by Lies," and. Last couple of weeks, we talked about some very important, um, uh, uh, I guess, institutions or, or balances against mm-hmm. over government overreach and power. We talked about the role of the family mm-hmm. uh, being the bedrock of society. And then we talked about Christianity or just faith, religion, um, being something that the totalitarians hate because it is, a, it is an open affront to their complete cry for uh, total authority, you know. It's an authority issue. Both of those are authority issues. And so today we want to talk about the power of small groups or standing in solidarity. And um, Dreher opens that chapter by talking about these underground printing press uh, you know, operations that were going on where they were publishing resistance material and how people found such courage and such freedom coming together for a cause that mattered. Mm-hmm. And 
as you and I had talked, you know, here in Indiana, where conservative state, some of the policy and the government overreach during this uh, pandemic was not as strong as in places like California or even outside the U.S., like Canada or Australia, China. Um, but we saw a government overreach, and you know, we saw in some of these places where where government officials were coming and padlocking churches and forbidding people to even enter the church. And, and so this is not that far of a stretch. Of course, this isn't Soviet-style communism that we're talking about. But the issue becomes this. What do you do when the institution of church is shut down? How do you continue to live in a, uh, under a regime and, and keep your sanity? And, uh, and what they found over and over again was the power of connecting through small groups. Mm-hmm. And I really thought for a moment, what would happen if we, if we come into round two and, and we choose to stay open and maybe local officials start, you know, or health departments start showing up and trying to close our doors, you know, what would we do? And, and I've come to the conclusion, our, our small group, our life groups are the lifeblood of our church. And if there was some other kind of crisis like that, or if there was, God forbid, but some government overreach trying to shut the church down, um, that is a solution, is you go underground and you, you decentralize and you get people connecting through, you know, life-giving relationships all over town. Yeah. And it really hit me that probably the, the most important ministry in our church uh, from this time forward is our life groups. And, we've, you know, you've led that before. We've got some great people in charge now with the, the Santanas. Um, but being connected is a critical, critical uh, rule for survival, especially when government gets bigger and bigger. And so... Let's maybe talk about that uh, a little bit today. One of the quotes that I thought was really powerful in this chapter, they said, only in small communities could people feel free. And I don't know if you remember, but in some of our starting point classes, we, we have all these new people coming, and Living Stones was the only place in their whole world where uh, they said they felt normal. And sometimes people were standing up sharing this through tears because they came here, they worshiped, they were with family, they were with other believers who shared their values, uh, we did not require masks. We did not require vaccination. We did not require any of those things. We just simply let people be free to choose what's best for them. And uh, and it was that taste of freedom yeah. that was liberating for people. I mean, I felt, like, I felt like I was leading a resistance movement right here in America. And I know that's nothing compared, again, to, to Soviet-style communism. But it was a, a strange feeling that when people tell you this is the only place in the whole world where they feel normal, I, I, I'm sure that's exactly a taste of what people felt like under under communism. I mean, when when in the middle of the COVID lockdown, that's what we did. Yep. We got together with a few other families. We got together and we worshipped. We got together and we um, uh, we saw the Sunday recordings. You know, we even had Easter together. You yep. know, we did egg hunt with the kids. Yeah, and because of those things, I didn't really feel all weird during uh, COVID because I still have my fellowship. It's not like I see millions of people every day, you know. Right. I still I didn't. And <laughs> I came out of COVID basically, like, it didn't really affect me that much because of the importance of the regular small and yet group compare, gatherings. And you compare you to the person who's isolated. I mean, I, we, we both have a good friend who was living out in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area. She's single. Um, a lot of singles ended up getting dogs or some type of a pet because 
they were not allowed to go outside of their apartment or to be around people or to have people over. That's the kind of craziness even in America that was yeah. going on. People were dealing with depression, uh, it was suicidal thoughts, uh, feeling so alone. Of course, that we're talking about our elderly population who couldn't even have their family members come visit them. Right. I mean, it was terrible. Um, and, um, and, you know, of course, under Soviet-style communism, the very first people to be attacked and murdered and imprisoned were the priests and the pastors. So I think of Jesus' admonition in the scriptures, you know, when they strike the shepherd, the sheep are going to scatter. This caught many, many churches off guard. First, they said to the pastors and priests, you're not allowed to minister to anybody outside the four walls of the church. So you had to literally come into a building to receive ministry. If, if I went to your house... Mm -hmm to minister to you, I was violating the criminal code. Then they started killing these people, and what happened was you found this massive leadership void. Now, what I love about what we're doing here is we're raising up leaders all over the place, and if something would happen to me, God forbid, or you, God forbid, this church is not going to come to a screeching halt. We have we have very clear, uh, you know, uh, leadership lanes and, and expectations. We train leaders. Um, we've got people that can fill the gap and begin to minister. But in these situations, it, it all hit them by surprise, and the church was was basically languishing under lack of vision and leadership. It took them a while, but they said eventually the momentum started building because they realized um, we've got to get connected. Yeah. And people just started emerging. They started opening the scriptures. They started singing together. They started fellowshipping. They wept together. Uh, and what happened is, is this movement emerged to where the communists can no longer control it or stop it. And, uh, and again, I, I just find this to be very, very eye-opening. Um, I thought this was good. He said, when you, sh when you were with your friends in these communities, you had freedom. You knew that when you went outside, there was totalitarianism. It controlled everything and oppressed you. But after we tasted freedom uh, in those communities, we gradually came to want to fight for freedom for everyone. Uh, and they said this, the question is, which is going to win, fear or courage? So it's amazing when you get together with a small group of people who share your values and who are encouraged by one another's faith, that it causes you to be filled with courage. Oh, absolutely. So one, on the flip side, one of the greatest threats to liberty and freedom and to sanity is to divide, is yeah. to make sure these small groups don't happen, is to make sure people are addicted to their social media instead of actually inter interacting in small groups with like-minded people, engage face-to-face -face yep. with people. So, I mean, that's one of the schemes. Uh, we, I think we talked about in the previous book is just, just when, when before the, self, the soft totalitarianism comes in the form of isolating, dividing, get everyone to not like each other, get communities not yeah. talk to, get neighbors to not talk to each other. And the more they divide, the more powerful that globalistic scheme is. Here's the opposite side. Why that Why that works is right. because small community are so powerful. And again, it's just weird because again, we're not talking about hard totalitarianism, but yeah. we, we saw the media working together to to create fear, and they even admitted, I remember some of these undercover videos when they said, yeah, we, we showed the the uh, death toll, yep. global death toll, because- More, more charts, more it, death yeah, toll. Yeah, because it, it freaks people out, and yeah. when people are living in fear, it causes ratings to go up. So, yeah. so now we got this perverted you know, uh, ratings pursuit that's rooted in causing people to be in constant fear, and then that causes neighbors to be fighting against each other, freaking out, 
Uh, I mean, it was terrible. Uh, that's why they were saying you've got to stay true to yourself, straight, stay true to your conscience, also be in communities with other like-minded people who share your faith. He, he says here, literally, we were saved by small communities. Absolutely. And again, I think when, when we opened our doors, what happened? We attracted a gazillion people who were looking for people who shared their faith, shared their values, and wanted to be part of our community. Yeah. And I think that's only going to increase in the, in the years ahead. I think a lot of people who come to our church, they come mostly for the service, but they really are looking for the, the fellowship before service and after service. Yeah. Because that is one format of small group community, which is healthy, which is good, which I'm like, hey, I'm glad we're doing that. Yeah. It's because people need to connect on an interpersonal level. So even the large group service doesn't help deliver that that connection. Yeah. I mean, you're connected in a corporate way, in a large scale way, but yeah. a personal connection comes when there's, when I see, you know, Sunday after service, I see there's just pockets of people talking, yeah. you know, and how we got to recognize that that's not just like a perks. Right. That's a huge instrumental part of who God has made us to be and what right. we need. And Creating we, a physical space where people can come and connect heart to heart. Yeah. Um, we absolutely need that. If you don't have that, you're not going to be as healthy as you could be. So for yeah. us to understand, so I, I love how this, because, you know, when, 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 when people are stressed, you realize, like, what you really need is, like, oh, I really lack of sleep or I don't drink enough water. Well, this is when the nation is stressed. You realize, yeah. what do people really need? They need small groups. So, hey, let's do that's. That's engaging yeah. great, uh, value-driven, healthy small groups now yeah. so we can strengthen ourselves so we never cave into totalitarianism, right? Well, that's good. That's good. And yeah, yeah. Be, be, be proactive. Be proactive about it, yeah. They, they were saying they were not ready, and I think what we need to be saying is we need to be ready. We don't know what's coming down the, the, the pipe, yeah. but but we need to be ready. We need to be well-connected. Yeah. I like what the Bible says, Proverbs 17, 17. A, a friend is always loyal, or a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born to help in a time of need or in adversity. It's amazing to me how adversity can actually be a blessing to God's people because during times of adversity, you're looking for somebody that you can trust and somebody that you can work with. And I like what he pointed out in that chapter. Um, solidarity did not just center around people who were Christians or from your same denomination or whatever. Uh, they were looking for anybody to partner with who was, had the courage to stand against uh, communism. Absolutely. And many times it was people who did not share a belief in God or did not share their same Christian faith or denomination or whatever, but they were united by their common opposition and resistance to communism. So, um, you know, I like that. You know, when the, when things heat up, and things are heating up now, you know, this, this legislation that we talked about, the Disrespect for Marriage Act, um, we haven't seen what's going to happen now as a result of that. It's going to be tested in the marketplace. People are going to have to stand up for what they believe. And when they stand up for what they believe, there's going to have to be people that are going to rally around them. Um, and a, and lots of friends will be born in adversity. I really believe we're going to see that. that. That's when the church comes together. That's when relationships are forged. That's when we don't take for granted, for instance, oh, yeah, they have life groups. Well, I don't think I really want to do that. No, when you're when the heat is turned up, you find a life group because it's it's part of your survival strategy yeah. that God has intended. Yeah. I like what the Bible says here too, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two standing back to back conquer. And three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, I think it's in times of adversity when you realize I need you and you need me and we need Matthew and the three, uh, uh, that triple braided cord 
is not easily broken. But when you're alone, uh, I think they said in, in here, the person that's trying again to stand against the system uh, by themselves, there it is, the, the individual standing alone against the machine will be crushed. Yeah. And I, it's that vivid picture of what happened in China in Tiananmen Square years ago when that one dissident was standing in front of that tank. Uh, and it's a powerful picture. Yeah. But that one, one resistance for, you know, individual was no option for the entire communistic regime. Well, I, would, I, would even, I would even rephrase that. If you're standing by yourself, you wouldn't even be crushed. You'll fall in line with everyone else. Ideologically, you cannot stand when you're by yourself. I, yeah. No one can. It takes a very rare individual. You're, you're going to go, you're, when the wave, if you're by yourself, after a while, you're going to think you're crazy and everyone else is right. And yep. then you're going to fall into the prey like everybody else. That's why if you're not in a, in a life-giving life group, small groups uh, of common value, shared values, in this wave of um, ideology, I'm not even talking, see, see, the biggest threat is not even like the, the hard totalitarian, is the ideology for us to, day after day saying, that sounds good, but that's not quite right. Yeah. I'm, I need to wrestle with that a little bit. Wait, that, that doesn't seem right. Or your kids come home with this new ideology from school. That you're like, wait a second. That sounds good, but that's, that's sore through that. That's the yeah. constant struggle. And so when it comes to the ideology, whether it's communist or whether it's CRT or some of the things we're dealing with in America's neo-Marxism. Well, human, humanism is so seductive. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you resist it? Well, yeah. we talked about this. Well, you resist it through family values. Yeah. So moms and dads passing values down to their kids. That's the that's the primary small group, right? You resistance through your faith, uh, and what, what thus saith the Lord, right? What the scriptures say. So there's got to be a a biblical worldview that is passed on to the next generation, and you got to understand it. You have to understand the moral universe, like we said, the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, and that Mordor is real, and all that. And then this is the third area that they talk about. You've got to be connected to a small group. Everybody doesn't have a good, solid family. Everybody, you know, uh, is not connected like that. Well, or you have all three. You're even stronger. Because if, if, if everyone has adapted the state's ideology, then you no longer need resistance. That's the cheapest way, the most efficient way to, 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 to uh, resolve totalitarianism. That's why there's nations in the history of mankind that has given way to a tyrannical emperor, ruler, whatever, for... Yeah. thousands of years because everyone buys into it. That's how it is. The emperor is God. Right. So we're all going to buy into it. There's no, there's no resistance needed. That's the way to take care of business. Everyone buy in. So the resistance starts from the ideological standpoint, and that comes from small groups. I don't know how many times I have called off people and be like, I feel like I'm crazy. Tell me I'm not crazy. No, you're yeah, not crazy. Absolutely. That's all it is because you live in this wave of just a tidal wave of ideology. Just like I don't know what's right and what's up sometimes. Yep. So. yep. And that's why maybe this is a good place to end. This is uh, Hebrews 10, 25 from the Passion Translation. I love the way it says this. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing, because we need each other. Mm -hmm. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we participate, or as far as we anticipate that day dawning. So as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, that day that is going to dawn, uh, we need to be more connected, more engaged, not less engaged. And so maybe that's a, a challenge to any of you who might be watching. Do you have a strong local church that you're deeply committed to? Are you involved not just on the Sunday large gathering, but are you involved with people throughout the week? Are you serving on teams? Are you 
Do you have life groups at your church, small groups? Do you have groups that get together to study the Bible or to read a book or just to spend time together in fellowship? I mean, all these things right now, I think, are viewed by many as um, icing on the cake. Um, but when, you're, when you see the growing hand of, of, of government and totalitarianism and overreach, you realize, whoa, when your liberties are being trampled, hey, we can't take these things for granted because um, these are the first things governments try to remove um, when, when, the, when the bad people get in charge. Um, so hopefully this is a good reminder for all of us today. Be connected. We need each other. And be connected with like-minded people who share your values and share your beliefs. I love it when people come to Living Stones and they say, you know what, I, um, this is home. And when you probe them a little bit, what you find out is this is my tribe, these are my people, this is what I believe, um, this is what I stand for, this is what I'm willing to fight for. Um, and that's when you know, hey, I, I, I found a group of people I can do life with. Everybody, everybody needs that group. We encourage you uh, to find yours. So, hey, thanks for leading our life groups for so many years and, uh, uh, and for laying that foundation. We do. We got a lot of great leaders. In fact, when do our life groups start again? Uh, After the holidays, I know. Yeah, in January. Early January. So um, lots of ways. In the meantime, too, I want to encourage everybody, find ways to serve. Uh, our serve teams are amazing ways to connect as well. We have a lot of people to gather and serve in a variety of, of, of fashions. And then, hey, guess what? The holidays are great times to invite people over to your house uh, and do life together and have some fun and celebrate uh, Jesus as the reason for the season. So thanks so much for tuning in. Hope this is helpful to you. Uh, and until we meet again, uh, have a great week.